love Easter morning. As a, as a believer, we ought to love Easter morning, right? Would you agree with that? Like, this is a pretty pivotal thing for us to love, right? The resurrection of Christ, where Jesus triumphantly defeats Satan's sin and death. He rises from the grave in giving eternal life to all who will believe upon him. I mean, this is an important day. Everything hinges on what you believe about this day. Everything hinges as to whether Christ truly got up from the grave or not. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, right? In this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is dead somewhere in the Middle East right now, we're fools. We're fools. We're worshiping a Messiah that can't save, if that's accurate. As believers, we realize that's not the case. <laughs> he has resurrected from the grave, never to die again. Everything we believe hinges on that fact. And I am, I am totally convinced that he has resurrected from the grave. And, and I hope that you are as well. And if not, I hope that by the time I'm done today, that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see and to believe. I know that, that some of you here right now, chances are very good you don't believe. I just, I just know that, right? Because you get enough people together, chances are there are people here that don't believe. You might have been drugged here by someone who loves you deeply, right? And said, come on, come to Easter, and then you can go over to the house afterwards, and we can get some ham. And you might be like, oh, that's me, yeah. You might be here for a variety of reasons, really. I mean, I know that's true. Maybe... Maybe it's the one time a year that you come to church. Maybe you come to church at Christmas, maybe at Easter. I want you to know, I don't care what has brought you here. I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're here because I know ultimately God sovereignly put you here this morning for you to hear his word preached. And so I pray that you'd be encouraged. I'm thankful. But if that is you, if it is you that you're here and you're like, I don't really get down with all this mumbo jumbo, right? Like, I know what you're about to do. I've been to enough Easter services, right? You're going to talk about how Christ died and how he resurrected and yada, yada. And if we just believe, then we never have to die. Could you just hurry up? I'm about to tune you out until I can go eat some ham, right? It might be you. It might be you. I, the reason I say it might be you is because I was that guy. <laughs> For a lot of Easter services, I went and played the, the little deal, right? Like I would even dress up, right? And I would go and I would do this Easter morning thing. We even went to one that was like a resurrection service, which was like a service really early in the morning. And I'm like, can't we worship him later? And, and I'll tell you, there were many times I sat through services, probably at least a few, where I didn't believe. And I thought I probably was okay. But I really, I wasn't trusting in the Lord. Well, I know that many, when that happens, it's because you, I know why. Theologically, I know why. You've never met the risen Christ, period. You just haven't. You might have heard about him, but you've never believed. You know, there's an old saying, you've heard Jimi Hendrix, right? Like you've, you've listened to him, right? But you ain't never heard Jimi Hendrix, right? There's, a, there's an actual hearing that is believing. The Bible says that your eyes, the eyes of your heart are open to see, right? There's, there's believing truths about certain things, but then there's, there's belief in the risen Christ 
as though this is historically, factually true, because that's exactly what we're talking about. He has risen, right? I, I think a lot of times people have met what I would call a strange cultural version of Jesus. I'm going to call him Easter Bunny Jesus, right? Seriously, Easter Bunny Jesus. I think this is what many people have met. But it's not the Christ of the Bible. You know, Easter Bunny Jesus is pretty cool, right? He lets you sit on his lap at the mall, right? He's, he's very cushy. He surrounds himself with kids while petting a lamb, right? He's not intimidating at all. He has long flowing hair. He looks like he should be on a Pantene commercial. His head is glowing. He's not intimidating. He exists for you, right? And all he wants is for you to do you and to have your best life now. And when this Jesus returns, he's going to come riding in on a white, fluffy bunny that's surfing on a, a rainbow. And he's passing out candy and eggs to everybody who will just come. He's not coming to bring judgment. He's coming to just make you happy. Right? This is the, this is the Jesus that many people within our culture know. But it's laughable and it's, it's worthy of crying if you've ever met the risen Christ. Because this is not the Jesus of the Bible. That Jesus does not exist, except in the minds of those who have never met him. And that might be you. I don't know. But someday soon, everyone in this room is going to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Mark it. You're going to see him. You're going to see him face to face. And he will not look like the imaginary Jesus that I just mentioned. And the question becomes, is when Jesus rips open the sky, and he's going to, and he steps into human history once again in power and in glory, when you die or when he returns, you will see him. What will that look like? Have you ever wondered what it would look like to see Jesus face to face? Have you ever wondered? I have. I mean, seeing Jesus properly is a matter of eternal life and death. It's, it's that important. Your eternity hinges on who you say Jesus is and what you believe about him and what he has accomplished in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. See, thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave us longing or wanting to wonder what it must be like to see the exalted Christ. Because John, the Apostle John, he had a vision. He had a revelation. He has met this exalted Christ on high. And he tells us what this is going to be like. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. The Apostle John was exiled on the island of Patmos. And he had a, a revelation of the exalted Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And I want to spend our time looking at this Christ, the one true Christ, the only Christ. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, either electronic form, paper form, or some other form, open them up to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to be in... We're going to start in verse 12. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 12. If you don't have your Bibles, the word will be on the screens. It's always a good idea, though, to bring your Bible because eventually that's going to move on to something else. And you might still want to look at something in the word. Because here's the thing. If you don't see what I have to say from the Bible, don't listen to me. 
Don't listen to me. Because who cares what I have to say if it's not backed up by the truth of God's word? Right? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to read 12 through 16, and we're going to work our way down. Now listen to this. He says, Then I turned, the I being John, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. (laughs) Okay, this is not Easter Bunny Jesus. This is exalted Christ, risen, triumphant, right? We can only imagine what went through John's mind as he turned to see the risen, ruling, reigning Christ. And, and there's seven things I want us to see from what I just read. And I think it's in there. I hope you'll see it. John's vision reveals to us seven things about the exalted Christ. So we're going to look at seven glimpses of this Jesus. And let me say from the beginning that John, John is working hard to describe the indescribable Christ. I mean, he's truly indescribable. But he's, he's reaching for language. Right? And so that's what we're going to do. Have your words ever failed you? (laughs) Timmy, I love you. Timmy's laughing. Yeah, every man in here should at least be like, yeah, my, like, you're pretty. Right? Like, like, I mean it, seriously, like, like a, like a bagel hound. I don't know. Like, so, you know what I mean? Like, we say dumb things at times, but it's not because we don't want to, like, like, convince you of what we're trying to believe. It's just because our words fail us. And I think of times where I've just been so captivated by something like grandiosis that like I can't come up with words, right? There's a few times in my life. One was just this past summer. My family and I had the opportunity that we were in Maine and we were on top of Cadillac Mountain and uh, in Acadia National Park in Maine. And we just had witnessed like the most amazing sunset that my human eyes had ever experienced. I mean, it was a worshipful moment. I was worshiping the God who did this. And I was amazed. And I couldn't come up with words, but I'm telling my daughter, I'm like, it looks like the sky's on fire. It wasn't on fire, but it looks like this thing's on fire. Look at the blues. Look at the purples. How beautiful. And I was trying to come up with words. Well, that's a sunset. That's a sunset. It's not the risen Christ. John is trying hard. My words fail me for much less than seeing the risen Christ. The first thing we see is Jesus is the perfect high priest. You see it right in verse 13. It says, one like a son of man clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And you're like, that doesn't say anything about high priest. That's what high priest wore. This is what they wore. This is common language used to describe the clothing that they would wear while performing their duties. And I love this, right? Because Jesus has entered heaven itself into the very presence of God, and he has spilled his blood once and for all. 
that is so much better than the blood of bulls and of goats because this blood actually atoned for the sins of all who will believe in him. That's glorious because apart from the shedding of the blood of Christ, the spotless lamb of God, you and I have zero hope of ever being in the presence of God. And he's made a way. He's made a way. And so imagine what this would be like if you were to try to go before the throne of God apart from Jesus making a way, you could not do it. It'd be like you trying to hug the sun. Imagine how that would go for you. It wouldn't go well for you. You can't even look at the thing without going blind. And the sun's a created thing. It's not eternal. Only the son of Christ is eternal. And only the son of Christ can make a way for sinners like us to draw near to the throne of grace But this high priest has done it. Jesus has done it. This has happened. Do you believe that because of this high priest that all the sacrifices are done? He is the perfect high priest who has made a way for sinners like us to be clothed in his righteousness and to draw near to a perfect, holy, righteous God and not be burned up, but to actually see the smiling delight of God the Father as he looks upon you, not because you're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome, because he's given you righteousness. He's imputed his perfect record into your account so you can see the smile of God. This is amazing. What an amazing Savior we have. The second thing we see is Jesus is the all-wise and eternal ancient of days. Look, Look at verse 14 with me. It says, the hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. Man, imagine vibrant white. You ever wake up on a snowy morning and the sun is actually out? I know it's a strange thing to actually see in Indiana County because it's like mini Seattle here. I mean, truly it is. We actually get more rain than Seattle. That's a true statement. Um, But sometimes the sun does come out. And, and there are times where there's snow, it's a fresh snow on the ground, and you go out and you're just, you just woke up, you haven't had your cup of coffee, and you look out, and it's, it's blinding. Okay, that times infinity. That times infinity is what we're looking at. So don't make the mistake of making Jesus old here. He's not old, right? Jesus made time. Think about that. And ultimately, he exists outside of time. He's not old here. He's neither young nor old. He is eternal. He simply is. This is the Christ that we worship. This language is imagery from from Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel, this is before Christ even incarnated and came in. But Daniel had a vision. And here's what he says. As I looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flames. The wheels were burning fire. So Daniel's having a revelation of his own, and now we see John is seeing this one who was promised, this Ancient of Days. And the white hair speaks of his absolute purity. He's perfect. He's never sinned. Not in thought, not in deed. He's always done the right thing, unlike you and I. He is absolute perfection and perfect 
wisdom. He's never, he's never wondering what he ought to do. He always knows what is right. He always does what is right, what is best for his glory. This is Jesus. He is eternal. You and I, we have a beginning. And because of our sin, you and I will have an end. But Jesus has no beginning and he has no ending. And if we trust in Christ, we'll have no ending either. We'll live for eternity with him. This is the God we worship. So get this. There was never a time there was not Jesus. There was never a time there was not Jesus. He has always been. He will always be. He's existed before time was even a thing, which I can't even think about. It blows my mind to think about there was a time there wasn't time, but there was Christ. This is our God. The third thing that I want us to see is Jesus is the all-knowing one with penetrating vision. See it right there in verse 14? His eyes were like a flame of fire. <laughs> Picture these eyes if you can. Use your imagination. We don't do that anymore. We let everyone else use their imagination and we watch it on Netflix. Use your imagination. His eyes were like a flaming fire. They pierce. They melt your heart so that nothing is hidden before him. Nothing. You think you're fooling people? You might fool everybody. You're not fooling God. No, Jesus is the one who searches the hearts and the minds of all people. He sees with absolute perfection. He knows everything. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden from him. Every little wicked thing you do, he sees. Everything that's good that you don't do, he sees. There's no hiding from his penetrating eyes. You cannot hide. You can't hide your pride that you have, that I have. You cannot hide your greedy little heart. You cannot. You can't hide the, the fact that you envy, that, that you're covetous, the sexual sins that you think no one sees. He sees perfectly your hatred towards your brothers, towards people made in God's image. He sees it perfectly. Your lack of love for the church. He sees your hypocrisy. He sees Imagine, I tell students all the time, imagine if a DVD was made of your life, everything from every angle, and we went down to the cinema, and we were going to play your life, all your thoughts, all your motives, everything. Would you be handing out invitations? I think the answer would be no. I know I would not. I would not want anyone to see, and Christ sees perfectly. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Must give an account. And this is a horrifying thought, really. It really is. But I have good news for you. Hang in there. If you're like ready to crawl under your chair, hang in there. But this is a terrifying thought. You think you're getting away with something. You're not getting away with anything. Think again. You and I cannot hide from this Jesus. You can fool lots of people. Lots of people do. You're not fooling him. He sees it all. And that leads us to the next thing. Four, Jesus is the righteous judge of all. He's the righteous judge of all. His judgments are perfect. They're perfect. Look at verse 15. It says his feet were like burnished bronze referred refined in a furnace. What in the world is that? This is a picture of divine judgment. 
That's exactly what this is. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 27 says this. For he, Christ, must reign until he puts all things, all his enemies, under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things under subjection, under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected. Who put all things in subjection under him? Listen, Jesus Christ will trample every one of his enemies under his feet. This is the exalted Christ. See, every wicked ruler and authority will be conquered under the perfectly refined feet of Christ. He's a triumphant judge. Nothing nor no one will escape his perfect judgment. All mouths will be stopped when he speaks in power. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16 says that people, when this time comes, they will actually call upon the mountains and the rocks to fall on us, it says, and to hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. (laughs) The wrath of the Lamb. We talked about this Thursday. When I think about lambs, I do not think about wrath. But this Lamb brings wrath. Unless you're in him. And then it says in Revelation 17, 14, they will make war on this lamb and the lamb will conquer them. This is an audacious thing. And and the fifth thing that we see is that Jesus is the one who speaks with deafening power. Deafening power. It says, in his voice was like the roar of many waters. Preach. Preach. Have you ever wondered what it would sound like if God were to speak to you audibly? We just heard it on a phone. So if you're like listening online, like I don't think he sounds anything like that. It sounds like a British woman. Um, But anyway, I'm I'm sure he doesn't sound like that, right? Because this says the roar of many waters. That sounded like an iPhone. The roar of many waters. Whew. I mean, it would be clear. It would be undeniable. It would be authoritative. The risen Christ speaks with great power. Um, years ago, I took Jesse and Sarah, and we went up to the Niagara Falls. And maybe you've been there. And we went on this tour called the Maiden of the Mist. And while we were on there, we're on this boat, and I'm like wondering, when's the last time this thing's been inspected, right? <laughs> because it didn't look all that good, and I paid enough that they should be like inspecting this more frequently. So we're going, and we're going up the river, and it. It feels like this thing's working way harder than it should, and we're not even close to where all the water is coming over, which is apparently where we're going, right? And so chug-a-lug-a-lug, we keep going, we keep going, we get up there to what's called the horseshoe of the falls, where all this water, I don't know how much water, is coming over in extreme might, and my daughter's eyes are about as big as saucers, and Jess is like, she's covering up under the little umbrella thing, and I am, I'm, I'm a amazed at the power of this water and it was deafening it was deafening we had to like like yell to be able to get our voices to be heard and we're standing right beside each other well whatever that is isn't even close to what it would sound like when Christ speaks it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be terrifyingly amazing have you ever wondered I wonder and I think that's the closest thing I can get to But the sixth thing that we see 
is that Jesus is the one who speaks. When he speaks, he speaks the truth from his penetrating word. He does not waste words like you and I. Everything he speaks is true. Everything he speaks is perfect. You and I waste words all the time. We fling them around. We say trite things all the time. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not helpful. Sometimes it would be better if we would just be quiet by the Spirit. But when Jesus speaks, it's perfect every time. And so from verse 16, it says, From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. (laughs) When when Jesus speaks, you and I had better listen up and not ignore him. But here's the thing. He has spoken. Jesus has spoken through his perfect word in the Bible. My question is, even this morning as we come to celebrate the risen Christ, are you seeking to hear and obey him? Are you? I hope you are. Because his word is so good. Everything he says is good. His law is perfect. Everything, all his instructions are meant to lead you to the fullest joy of life with him. Everything, he says. Every word is meant to lead you to enjoy him more. And in him is infinite satisfaction and infinite joy. Or do you, do you ignore his word in seeking instead to like listen to the small, still voice of your own flesh? I find that's what many people do. We make God in our own image. And we put Bible words on it, but it's not the word. I hope that's not you. Because listen to what John said in John 6, 63. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That text deserves so much more thinking than you're going to give right now. The words that he speaks to us are spirit and life. And life. Man, they have the ability to open dead eyes, to cause people to come from the domain of darkness into the to the marvelous light of God, to, to be born again. That's what it means. And to submit ourselves to the Word of God is the best thing you can do. To read it and allow it to pierce you, to allow the Word of God to read you as you read it and to be conformed to the image of God. That's what it means. The Word of God pierces deep into our innermost motives and parts to reveal the truth of our thoughts and the motives of ourselves. Why? So that we can be given the gift of faith and repentance and change to be more like Him. Why? Because it's for your best. It's for your infinite joy. Because in Christ, all satisfaction is found. All satisfaction is found. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, as we engage God through his word, we will see if there's spiritual life. Have you ever done that? Have you just ever got before God's word and said, yeah, this is, this is me by God's grace. This is the fruit of the Spirit working in my life. I'm dead. He's alive. There's love. There's joy. There's peace. There's patience. There's kindness. There's goodness. There's faithfulness. There's gentleness. There's self-control. And I know apart from God, that's not me. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Continue to make me more like you. Have you done that? Don't make the mistake of thinking the gospel is just like some easy believism. I believe it one time, and, and now I'm good, and I don't 
have to ever think about Jesus again. If you don't love Christ, there's no faith. I promise you, get on your face. Ask him, open my eyes, God, to see you more clearly, maybe for the first time ever. You'll know as you get before the word. And faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, right? Reading the word of Christ, playing it audibly on your phone. So get in the word, church, because why? Well, the seventh thing we learn is this. Jesus' glory shines bright as he sovereignly rules over all. Over all things. Look at verse 16. In his right hand is power, right? He held seven stars. And his face, his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Picture that, right? He is supremely sovereign over all things. From the highest point of Mount Everest, right? Think about that. To the lowest part of the Mariana Trench that's found in the Pacific Ocean. He is sovereignly ruling and reigning over all things. There is not one bird that will drop from the sky unless he says, drop. None. Well, what does that mean to you? If he loves you more than all the birds ever, ever from the time they were created till now, we're caught into a net. If he loves birds, right, and he does, he created them, but he loves you more than every bird. If that bird cannot die unless God says, you drop, that means he has you in the palm of his hand. He knows when you're going to die. He sovereignly rules over your life. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't, like, do the keto thing and you shouldn't exercise. I'm not saying that. You should care about your body. That's great. But you think that if you eat, like, like I don't know, grass the rest of your life, right, that something, like, stay away from bacon, like, that you're going to live longer? Well, there's wisdom in that, but I want you to know you could do all those things perfectly, and the one who holds your life is the one who says the day you are no longer on this earth. And that should be terrifying if we didn't know. We know. Trust me, good news is coming, but you better see this Christ. Otherwise, you will worship him in vain. You could do the happy, slappy Christian thing, but if you don't know the risen Christ, you're singing to your embarrassment. And I want you to see him. Why? Because he loves you. Abraham Kuyper says this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who sovereignly rules over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. From the smallest of things to the largest of things. He owns it all. It's all his. John is reaching for the language when he does his best to describe this indescribable Christ. In the force of this picture... Think about it. It would be like being one inch away from the sun. And apart from Christ, you and I are like rice paper. We would burn up. We'd burn up. You could not do it. His face is shining. Do you see him? Do you see him? You couldn't do it for a nanosecond if it weren't for Christ. But this is the picture of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Is this what you expected? Is this who you think it is you worship? Because this is the risen Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Word of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who drank the wrath of God down to his last drop. He is the one who has the power to forgive your sins. He is the one who has resurrected from eternal life. He is the one who satisfies your soul. He is the one who can sustain you till the end. He is Almighty God. 
That's the God you worship when you say, I love Jesus. That's him. That's him. And if you have any other vision in your head, you probably need to have it re-corrected because this is the one you're going to meet when you stand before him. This is the one you will meet. John, think about it. John has had many encounters with Jesus, right? They were the best of friends. He was the one that Jesus loved the most, right? I am the one who he loved. Um, I find that amazing, but that's another story. Think about it. He saw Jesus incarnate. He saw Jesus incarnate. He saw Jesus transfigured as the Lord of glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw that. He saw Jesus beaten, bloodied, dying, naked on a cross. He saw him resurrected from the grave. And now he sees him exalted on high. And this is the picture he gives us. This Jesus as risen Messiah is is different in a sense. And yet he's perfectly the same. Because he is the same. But he's in full glory. Can you see him? Because Revelation 1.17 says, look at, look at John's response. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John's response to this overwhelming moment is to fall upon his face in fear and in adoration. I mean, confronted with this awe-inspiring vision, there's no choice but to worship. That's exactly what we see. I'm convinced that when all, we will all be terrified in this moment. But I'm also convinced that if you and I have placed our faith in Christ by his grace, we will be comforted immediately. Immediately. Why am I convinced of that? Look at the text. Let's look at 17 through 20 of chapter 1 of Revelation. He said, but he, listen, listen to this moment. He fell at his feet as though dead. And look what this exalted Christ has done. But he laid his right hand on me. (laughs) Love this. He says, fear not. Oh, hear that right now. Fear not. Why? I am the, the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So to finish out this morning, I want to look at three comforts for the, for the convicted and for the repentant, for the children of God. And by the way, if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus, let today be the last day. (laughs) I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes, that you would come and throw yourself at the feet of Christ and receive salvation so that these words could be true for you. (laughs) Okay, so, so listen, the first thing is Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. That's a comfort because we need one to do that. Look, it says right in verse 18, I died, died, right? The death of Jesus on the cross is a great comfort to all who believe, right? Why? Because it is the greatest display of divine love that could ever be conceived or fathomed. It's a picture of love. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says this. To him, Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I love that phrase, and I love that it's in present tense. It doesn't say loved us. It says loves us. He loves us. Look at me. He loves you. You personally. This isn't some distant God. He sees you right here, right now. And he says, I love you. And I can say that because the Bible says that Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves you. This is a profound love that led him to the cross. I mean, God's highest act of love is giving himself on the cross. You can't see a greater picture of love. The Father did not make Jesus do anything. He didn't make him do anything. I've, I've heard some stupid teaching as of late. It's been around for a long time, but it talks about how the Father would never send Jesus to die in our place because that would be like some divine Father spiritual abuse to the Son. That's, that's heretical. That's such far from the truth of the gospel. God the Father sent him. Jesus says, I will delight to go. I would delight to go. And, and you don't believe me? Listen, what John says in chapter 10, verse 17 through 18. He says, no one takes it from me, meaning his life. No one takes it from me. But I, Jesus says, lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus delighted to do the will of the Father. He said, yes, Father, if that's, that's the perfect plan. I would love to do that. That will make you look awesome. Let's do this. Jesus willingly and joyfully loves us so much that he was willing to suffer God's wrath in our place. He sets us free by, sin, sets us free by his blood. He covers our sins. This is amazing love. His death paid the penalty for our sins. He satisfies God's wrath perfectly. If you're in Christ, I want you to know there is no more wrath for you. None. I think a lot of times we think, God, there's no way he loves me if I'm in Christ. There's, he, I mean, he tolerates me. I'm not one of his favorite children. You know, he loves you. There's no more wrath for you. None. There's no admixture. It's like, I love you and I hate you. He's not, he's not like that. All his wrath is gone. Jesus drank it all. The only thing he has for you is supreme delight. Delight. Why? Because of the righteousness of Christ. It's yours. You're in Christ. If you believe, if you have your faith in Jesus, you're in Christ. And now you have the Father's delight. He's smiling down upon you. How? Because his own blood secured your redemption. He secured it perfectly, that high priest. Second comfort is that Jesus is alive forevermore. This is the whole point of Easter, right? He resurrected from the grave, triumphant, right? Look, it says in verse 18, Behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus has authority to take up his life again. And that's exactly what he did that first Easter morning. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 again. It says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn of the dead. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who died for our sins, rose, rose, 
physically, historically, that is true. He rose eternally, triumphant over all his enemies, so that, what? That no condemnation would be left for those who believe in him. None. It's gone. He, because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, well then, guess what? That means he's the first one to receive the resurrected body that's immortal, and it cannot be corrupted by sin ever again. Listen, Buddha is dead. Buddha's dead. Muhammad is dead. Krishna is dead. Confucius is dead. They're all dead. And I don't say that so that I can be up here boasting. I weep because I have many friends. I have many, many friends who worship gods who are dead. And it breaks my heart. And I pray that God opens their eyes to see and to believe and to worship the one true God who is alive. He is alive. And if he's not, then you should just skip this and eat ham or whatever else you want to eat. But the fact that he's alive is we have eternal hope. No matter what this world throws at you, you can be sure it's just a short time. It's just a short time. No matter how long you live, the Bible says that your life is like a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Hang in there. Why? Because you have eternity to be with your God. Why? Because he resurrected to eternal life. And he's the first. That means he's not the last. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 says. But in fact, Christ has, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Oh, this is such good news, church. Jesus is the first of many who will join him in triumphing over death. We will trample it under our feet with him. Jesus' resurrection from the dead has made a way for all who trust in him to follow him in a resurrection just like his when he returns. You can be sure of that. This is so important because we will be raised. Have you ever thought about what your glorified body is going to look like? Better than, yeah, better than this, Timmy. Amen to that. Or we're all going to be disappointed. Right? Like, Yeah. Way better than this. Right? And, and I long for that. We need to look towards the heavens. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus so that while we're here, when this world that's groaning and all the sin and its ugliness is breaking you down, you can look forward to a hope that is sure to come. It's sure to come. And he's the rightful heir of all. And he sovereignly reigns over everything, including death and Hades, which is the last thing that we should draw comfort from this morning. Jesus is sovereign over death and Hades. Look at verse 18 once again. It says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has ultimate authority. That's exactly what this means. Authority to cast body and soul into hell forever. And he has authority to deliver body and soul into the presence of God forever. 
He's sovereign over all things. Jesus' claim to have the keys over death and Hades means that he controls who dies, when they die, and where they will be for all eternity. He is sovereign. And, and you might think, well, that's not that comforting. Actually, death is comforting for the Christian. It's horrible for those who are remaining back. But it's just a short time. Paul says that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you could taste one drop of it, you would long for it to happen right now. I'm not saying we should. I'm saying you, you need to be active, walking with God. But when that day comes, you will not regret one thing. You will be in the presence of God, which you were made for. And think about it. Think about it. Revelation 21, 3 through 4 says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Christian, this is the greatest comfort of all. See, forgiveness of sins is necessary, but that's not the greatest part of the good news. The greatest good news is that because our sins have been forgiven, we can live with God forever, where there's only infinite joy and delight in his presence forever. Have you, have you ever thought about forever? I mean, the picture that we get of heaven many times is, is almost embarrassing, right? Like we're all going to be like little fat cherubs that are sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. I mean, if that's what heaven looked like, I wouldn't want no part of it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we will be resurrected to a new glorified body that cannot ever be corrupted by sin again. And that's awesome. But if God were not in that presence, it would not be worth having. It would not be worth having. If you were to have your, your best job, your, the wife of your dreams or the husband of your dreams, as many kids as you want, all the money that you needed to buy, all the things that you could ever afford, and not have God, it would not be worth it to live for, forever. You'd be bored. You'd be bored. You'd be bored. Think about it. I know rich people from Hollywood who have everything they could ever imagine, and they hate their lives. The only thing that could ever make living and eternity bearable, but it's beyond bearable, it's amazing, it's stupendous, it's glorious, is to be in the presence of an almighty God whose delight is upon you in a world that is not corrupted by sin any longer, and we get to enjoy him, and we get to enjoy a feast with him at the marriage of the supper of the lamb and the bride, which is the church, and this is forever, and every day, if there is such a thing as a day in that moment, it will only increasingly grow in joy in a thousand years in a trillion years you and I will be praising God and we will see more of him you could never come to the end of Jesus you cannot exhaust his awesomeness at the end of eternity which there is no such thing as an end of eternity you and I will praise God be amazed by him all the more if you're in Christ are you in Christ and if you are celebrate 
Enjoy the life he's given you here. Thank him for the life he's given you here. And hang on if you're suffering because it's just for a moment. Then you're going to see the risen Christ and you'll worship him all the days of your life. He is worthy to be praised just like John did. Jesus is to be adored. He is to be held in the highest regard. He is to be esteemed. He is to be cherished. He is to be valued. He is to be prized. He is to be treasured. He is to be worshipped for all that he is and for all that he has done and for all that he will do because he said he will do it. It will happen. You can guarantee it. You can mark it on your calendar. You can be assured that this is the life that you have because he never lies. And he's promised have you been freed from your sins? That's my question to you this morning. Have you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you went to church. I'm asking, have you thrown yourself at the feet of Christ and said, oh, forgive me. Open my heart to believe in you to love you, to adore you. If you have not, do not leave this place before doing that. You're not promised tomorrow. And everything I've spoken just now is not for you if you're not in Christ. But I pray you are. And I pray if you're not, that today would be the day you'd worship Christ. You'd enjoy him forever. Because he loves you. He has sent his son to die for you. And it will only be the greatest thing you've ever done. Is to worship the risen Christ.